This week on the show, my guest is Romin Nakiza. We chat about active versus passive investment strategies and the death of what Romin describes as the alpha cult. Welcome to episode 146 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, and welcome to the show. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I really do appreciate the time you take plugging myself and my guests into your earphones. As always, I'm Roger, a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I help companies like yours keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. And you know what? I'm getting my simple message out there wider than the United Kingdom. I've recently been speaking at a conference in Montenegro, the Network 2017 conference, and I did my keynote speech, Fighting Complexity, How to Keep Your Marketing Simple from Small Corporate to Big Corporate. And despite the fact that this was in a country where English isn't their native language, my speech went down incredibly well. I even got 150 people to stand up and shout, your cat sat on our mat. Now, if you've absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, you need to see my keynote speech on fighting complexity. So if you're holding an event and you'd like a speaker to speak at your event about simplicity in marketing, then I'm your man. Get in touch. Check out rogeredwards.co.uk and let's have a conversation. So let's talk to Romin Nikiza about the death of the alpha cult. We chat about why the perception that active investments can consistently outperform markets is known as the alpha cult, the difference between alpha and beta, as in active and passive, how the US is ahead of the UK in its attitude to these approaches, the role of the independent financial advisor as a teacher and financial coach, and the investment philosophies of Jack Bogle and the Vanguard Group. Romin is co-founder of Pensions Craft Limited. He specialises in investment research and strategy with a focus on producing actionable, global, cross-asset allocation ideas to maximise return while managing risk. He focuses on an analytical and fundamental approach to investment. Romin has outstanding cross-asset knowledge, excellent presentation skills, and a proven ability to present complex ideas in a simple way. So let's get straight into that interview with Romin, right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Roman, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, Roger. Where are we Zooming each other from today? I always have to hold myself to account there because for the last three years, I've been using Skype for these interviews and recently I've changed to Zoom. So we're not Skyping each other, we're Zooming each other. So where are we Zooming each other from today? So I'm in Buckinghamshire. So I live in Amersham, which is just at the kind of northwest bit of London at the end of the Metropolitan Line. And I'm in Edinburgh as always. So at least we're in the same country. I've done quite a lot of interviews recently with people abroad, United States and even South Africa. So it's good to talk to somebody who's in the United Kingdom. Today, we're going to talk about finance, we're going to talk about investments, and specifically, we're going to talk about the fascinating topic of the death of the alpha cult. But before we get into that, Romin, 
tell me a little bit about your background and where you came from and how your career developed, where you're going, and basically what makes you tick. Okay, well, I guess I'm quite academic. So I started off in um, physics and it's still pretty much my first love. Mm -hmm. I've still been uh, doing quite a lot of tutoring in maths and physics while I teach grown-ups finance. Uh, and I've got to say, there's a lot of demand for maths and physics, uh, more so than the uh, demand for people to learn finance. But So when I was at school, physics was the subject that I struggled with the most. Maths was probably the second one I struggled with. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I guess it was that uh, all the equations and the, the, the stuff that you had to know, all, all I have in my head about physics is kinetic energy and 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 acceleration and all of that sort of thing and it, it just used to blow my mind i just couldn't handle it <laughs> it's funny though because when i teach finance or if i teach physics or maths i use exactly the same technique which mm -hmm. always is always to start off with you know you visualize some kind of situation yeah. almost like it's a movie mm -hmm. you go onto the into the equations once you've got the intuition yeah it's always been a very effective way to teach i've found so a good metaphor is always the best place to start. But I, I've, I've worked uh, in physics, so I was I did a PhD in biophysics at Imperial, got a first in physics in my undergraduate, and then went on to do my PhD, mm -hmm. and then went to Oxford to study neural networks. So I was looking at how people learn language, right? Um, which was really interesting, and it led me into predictive modeling, um, which later on served me very well. So then I moved into finance because I needed money. Uh, so uh, moved into finance, got some money, got married, had children, settled down. And then uh, after a 12-year stint in finance, I set up my own company. So for the last six years of that uh, investment investment banking stint, I was working as an asset allocation strategist. Right. It basically meant I was the guy that used to fly around and talk to the pension fund managers, hedge fund managers, about how to allocate the capital between different asset classes. Okay. That's what we mean by, by asset allocation. And that's different to fund management, isn't it, obviously? Yes, it's certainly a skill that uh, fund managers need. Mm. So generally, you'll have the guy at the top of the company, the chief investment officer, who will make these kind of top-down decisions about how much money they're going to put into equity and which regions. And then they'll have stock pickers, which choose individual stocks or sectors. Um, so they'll say, you know, we'll buy this much Apple, this much um, Google, mm -hmm. uh, and they'll decide on the individual stocks at the lowest level. But generally, it's a top top people in the company who decide on the, the overall asset allocation. And funnily enough, what generates most of the returns long term is the asset allocation. Stock picking generates much less money, if you like, uh -huh. uh, or losses than choosing which asset classes to invest in in the first place. Okay. And, and so you were in an investment bank doing that role for? For about six years. And before yeah. that, I, I spent two years teaching at the investment bank. And I wrote a book about finance. And okay. uh, it was actually called The Financial Bestiary. It was meant to be <laughs> almost like a picture book. If you right. Know, where people kind of look at these pictures of assets like a bond or a share or the different people that work in finance, like traders, sales, operations people. And then it's got a little bio for each, each of the different things. But it's also got quite a lot of theory in the book. So it's basically for professionals who want to get into finance or who want to kind of brush up their finance, finance knowledge. Uh, it's not for your general investor. It's, it's a little bit more complicated than what people need to know just to invest for their own pension. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you were using the metaphor idea there again as well. Oh yeah, it was it was rich in metaphors. I've got to say, <laughs> um, 
that's why it took so long to write. It took me five years to write the best Dewey. What was the light bulb moment or what what made you decide to leave big corporate effectively, leave the asset manager to set up your own business? Well, as is, as is always the case in investment banking, you have to always be prepared to get fired. So <laughs> I was preparing for 12 years to get fired, but then my big opportunity came. Um, and uh, so I'd already been planning what I was going to do once I left. Mm-hmm. I have a backup plan in finance. So what I wanted to do was take some of the knowledge which I picked up and use that to teach people how they can basically invest on their own book, but not to be caught out by some of the difficulties or, or the pitfalls that people usually have when they invest themselves. Mm. And do you think people should go to financial advisors or do you think that there is an argument for people doing it themselves? I think there's room for both, actually. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of financial advisors will only look at you if you've got more than a certain amount to invest. Usually it's around £200,000. Yeah. Below that, it's just not worth their while to do it. So I think uh, some people just don't have enough money to invest. So for them, something like um, doing it themselves is a good way to start. And now we have these robo funds, which allow you to which allow you to invest, um, but basically do it for you. Mm-hmm. But just ask you a few questions about risk, and then they match you to a portfolio that's simple but works for your risk appetite. But I think even if you have a financial advisor and they come up with a plan, I think just kind of handing the reins over completely without any understanding of what you've got is a mistake. Mm. I think you should really understand the minimal amount so that you understand the advice you've been given. And so you can perhaps disagree with some of it uh, because the IFA could get it wrong Mm. or they could misunderstand your, your situation. So I think it's certainly worthwhile knowing what's going on, even if you do have a financial advisor. But I think there's a very good reason for having financial advisors, which is partially to teach you about how to invest. I think coaching is one of the most valuable things that IFAs do. Yeah, and I think that's so important, isn't it? Because as we're about to discover, there are so many myths and perceptions about investments. And I think a lot of people probably dive into this without realising what those myths and perceptions are and pitfalls. And they might be quite surprised by some of the things that happen in the market. You know, they might might lose money. They might think there's more of an opportunity available to them than there actually is. And I'm always one for learning about how things work. And, and is that what you're effectively doing? Because you're not a financial advisor yourself, are you? You're more of an educator around financial matters. Yes, our offering is purely an educational one. So we offer a course on asset allocation. We're working on other courses. But the idea is that we help people decide for themselves how to invest. So we'll never recommend buy this fund, buy that product. We'll always say, these are the risks of this product, uh, and it's up to you whether you invest in it or not. Or sometimes people will come to us and ask us, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Um, What would be the risks of doing that? Or it could be something as simple as, could you help me work out the volatility of my portfolio? What's mm. the risk of this portfolio which I've chosen? So I can help them calculate that volatility and then you know they can go away and, and, and basically uh, be better informed in the way they, they invest themselves. I can see actually how that would work because what, what, you, what could happen is somebody who's not got any knowledge about investments at all but has some money and has some funds that they want to invest, they could go through the courses that you're putting together 
accumulate the knowledge and then maybe they could go and see a financial advisor but be better informed and as you say might be able to disagree with some of the um, recommendations or at least have a debate about some of the recommendations and ultimately hopefully their portfolio that we'll put together as a result of that will be a, a better one for them going forward absolutely i think a lot of a lot of uh, wealthy investors are often quite well informed themselves about mm. investment i used to work uh, with my investment banking background in um sometimes i'd speak to family offices so yeah. when you get beyond a certain level of wealth the family sets up its own office if you like to do their investment for them mm. it's almost like their own little mini fund manager yeah and so, you know, those people are extremely well informed. Uh, and, and some of the investors themselves, the high net worth investors, were uh, almost as good as fund managers themselves. Or some of them used to be fund managers. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, it's very interesting that, you know, we could see a progression from, you know, someone in their 20s who's investing long term. And because of the training they received when they were young, they'd have a bigger pot of capital to invest later on with an IFA. So I think there's a there's a kind of progression here, um, which could be quite useful for the fund managers themselves, or at least for, for the IFAs themselves, if they do recommend training early on mm-hmm. and provide that very cheaply. And then later on, when they think about, you know, once, once somebody's got more wealth, they can decide who to go to to manage that wealth. They're more likely to go to the IFA, which gave them that good training to start with. So I think there's a role for IFAs. Uh, in the kind of training space as well. And you're quite obviously an educator, as you've said. You've set your business up around this idea of financial education. And before we move on to talk about the um, the death of the alpha cult, I just want to explore a little bit more about the sort of educational stuff that you do, because you are quite a prolific content marketer, aren't you? You put out a lot of video explaining things just like we've been speaking about here. That's right. And of course, that's all free of charge. So Mm. one of my most popular videos is about Vanguard life strategy funds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I talk about the risks, the potential returns, you know, what active and passive management is. And I think that's really valuable for some people based on the feedback I've been getting on the comments. I think a lot of people just weren't aware of what it is that the product was offering. Uh, So I think, you know, that's been a really valuable source of business for me because several people have come to me the people who've signed up for the training have said thank you for your videos i've watched all of them i've watched several of them and i like your style and that's why they came to me because they realized that i'm not going to give them bullshit i'm going to say it how it is but i'll say it in a simple way so i think that content marketing um i think that's been extremely valuable Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's a really good it's a really good way of getting customers to get to know you almost before they do business with you because they can see you on the screen, they can see that you know what you're talking about, they, they can see that you've got a very good teaching style, and they are going to learn a lot from you, and that's going to give them confidence to do business with you. And it's one of the things I've been pushing on the podcast for a long time that a lot more people working within financial services in general and and more professional industries in in particular need to start using video a lot more in their marketing because it's a it's such a great way of letting people see the real you before they even do business with you oh yeah it's so powerful i mean it's almost as if we're just continuing a conversation what's weird from my point of view is that these people already feel that they know me 
And yeah. this is the first time I've spoken to them. Yeah. It's a little bit odd from my point of view, but great, you know, because they know what they're going to get, uh, which is which is which is better for both of us, I think. So let's talk about the death of the alpha cult. Now, before we hit record, we did speak about various things we could talk about on the podcast today, and I just looked at the list and thought the death of the alpha cult is such a great heading. That's got to be the one that we talk about. So what is the alpha cult and why should we be talking about it and why should we be concerned about it? Okay, well, let's think for a moment what a cult is. Mm. So usually it's built around a central belief, which is incorrect. So Mm -hmm. it could be that somebody is divine. So Mm -hmm. it could be a kind of religious cult or it could be that UFOs are beaming people up into their spaceships. Yeah. It could be a UFO cult, or it could be a terrorist cult. You know, you believe that if you kill lots of people, you'll get a free pass to heaven. <laughs> but this cult is based on something called Alpha. Mm. Now, Alpha, if you're not familiar with it, uh, there are two things, Alpha and Beta, mm-hmm. which into this uh, whole discussion. Now, Beta is how much money you'll make if you just track the whole market. Mm-hmm. So buy the FTSE 100, all of the stocks in the FTSE 100, you can track that very cheaply. So if the FTSE goes up 10%, your investment goes up 10%. Yeah. And we call that beta. Now, beta is very cheap. If you track the market, you can do that very cheaply, sometimes for as little as 0.07% per year of your investment, very, very cheaply. Whereas if you have active investment, you're paying some experts to try and beat that market. Yeah. They're trying to beat the FTSE 100. So if the FTSE 100 goes up 10%, they're aiming to go up 15%, 20%. And if the FTSE goes down 10%, they're aiming to lose only, say, 5%. So alpha is the extra return you get on top of beta. And so is, is in common or garden parlance, is alpha active and beta passive? Is that what we're saying? That's exactly it. So alpha is your expensive market beating return mm-hmm. is your cheap market tracking return and the alpha cult believes the central dogma is that if you have certain experts who have huge amounts of resources and education they can consistently and persistently beat the market mm-hmm. and that belief is very pervasive so just like a religion can be global it can go global like Christianity did, they're very pervasive and they're so pervasive that you're not, you're not even aware it's, it's there. Um, so for example, when you pay uh, a pension manager, pension fund manager, most of them have a flat fee. In other words, you always pay them 1%. Mm-hmm. So imagine this was a taxi driver, right? So you get into the taxi and uh, you, you, you kind of drive, but you suddenly realize you're driving in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. Look, the train station's that way. Why are you going this way? And he said, look, you pay me the fare either way. That would make no sense whatsoever if, if it was in a taxi. And yet in 80% of the funds in the UK, they fail to beat the index once you subtract their fees. In other words, they fail to generate alpha over 10 years, over a 10-year horizon. And this is based on research by S&P. So the evidence is that the alpha cult is based around a dogma which is just incorrect Mm. and it's taking a very long time for the uk to come around to this realization so whereas in the us there's a lot of money that's moving out of active management into passive because of this huge amount of evidence which shows that alpha is a cult whereas in the uk most people aren't even aware 
of how fund management works or that they're even paying a fee. Mm. I think um, I think if you think about it though everybody assumes that give it to a fund manager who's an expert obviously and if you give it to a fund manager then they are going to get you a bigger return and it's like saying before about perceptions that is what a lot of people believe and therefore I can see how that cult pervades <laughs> you know it, it reminds me way back at the beginning of my career I was working for a small investment company and at the time we used to have these things which they call broker funds and basically the brokers the IFAs of the day would almost be their own fund managers and they were playing around with different um, unit trusts and that sort of thing to create their own fund but they were actively managing it managing it and I guess their thought process was I can beat the index and of course I can remember the performance of these broker funds at the time and I'm talking like 20 odd years ago was absolutely abysmal lots of people <laughs> lost lots of money and and I guess that's the same thing isn't it Obviously, there are fund managers out there who do beat the indexes, but potentially that's just a bit of good luck on their part rather than complete expertise because often they don't continually beat it. Ultimately, as you said, it doesn't it doesn't work. And I think one of the most damning pieces of research by S&P is something called the persistent scorecard. Right. They tracked U.S. Uh, mutual fund managers. And the U.S. mutual fund industry is massive. It's something like $11 trillion that they manage. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is that they they look at the top 25% of the performing uh, fund managers. Yeah. So there's your set of the kind of real stars. And then they track those stars over the next one, two, three, four, five years to see were the stars of five years ago still the stars today. And by the end of five years, 0% of those fund managers were still in the top 25%. It falls off really quickly. Mm. It simply suggests that the stars of yesterday were just lucky. Mm -hmm. If it was skill, that wouldn't disappear. But if it's luck, that would disappear. It would be quite damning uh, in terms of, you know, if you believe in alpha, and it is like a belief, almost a religious belief, then I think that's ill-founded. And you say that in the States, this viewpoint is has actually turned around now and that more people are not believing in the alpha cult and they're actually understanding how it works they're saying yes it's not possible to consistently beat the um the market therefore the passive approach is a lot better and what what's created that environment in the states i think i think the primary reason in the u.s is people are simply more engaged with financial markets mm -hmm. So, for example, these very cheap uh, funds which track uh, the whole stock market, which in the U.S. would be the S&P 500, mm -hmm. exchange-traded funds or ETFs, mm. like the stock, but it tracks the whole market. And if you look at the percentage of households in the U.S. which own ETFs, it's 40%. Mm. Look in Europe, it's only 11%. So four times as many households in the U.S. own these things. But the reason is probably that they have 401k funds right in other words in the u.s you are expected to manage your own pension you don't hand over the reins to somebody else you actively choose what goes into it whereas in the uk we've only just recently had the new pension freedoms so i think we'll probably go the same way but it's i think it's just not part of our culture to manage our own money so pensions freedoms could be the catalyst for the death of the alpha cult in the uk i think so i think so and i think 
I think people will start to get the message. They're already starting to get the message in the UK, but I think it's just taking longer. As usually happens, all of the financial innovations happen in the US and then they make their way across the pond. And I think this is this is probably going to be quite quite similar. And I would imagine that quite a lot of active fund managers out there probably don't want this to happen. Well, I think that's one of the uh, group of people who, who don't want it to happen. The other thing to remember is that investment banks have a huge investment mm. in the alpha cult because when pension fund managers churn their portfolios, in other words, they buy and sell stocks, yeah. the people who are selling them those stocks are the investment banks. Plus, there's a whole army of research people, analysts, who analyze each of the stocks. So, for example, if you look at one, one company like Vodafone, there are probably 10 investment banks that every week will put out a research note on Vodafone. Yeah. So there's a whole industry, a whole group of people who depend completely on this on this alpha cult, the idea that if they generate the research, which is read by the fund manager, uh, which they get a payment for, which ultimately we pay for, then they'll churn their portfolio, they'll trade more and generate profit for the investment bank. So there's a whole kind of food chain based on this, you know, flawed belief that you can generate alpha. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. And, you know, I can remember the fund managers in that company I mentioned before, the 20 year, twenty odd years ago, they were the almost like the gods, you know. <laughs> they, were, they were more important, the executive team that ran the business. You know, the fund managers were, they, they just walked on air. They wouldn't even speak to you if they saw you in the corridor because they That's were right, yeah. these people. People who, do treat them like that. And, you know, they appear on the, on, on the news. You know, they have some fund manager from Fidelity or, mm. or some other company on the news talking about what they think is going to happen to markets, whereas it turns out they haven't got a clue. No. Uh, at least no better than, than than you and me. So, yeah, I think I think that there's got to be a change in terms of the culture. I think it's going to, the message is going to get through that actually the, the king is in the altogether. Mm. The alpha cult is, is really something which, which has no uh, factual basis. And a lot of this is what you're helping people with through your business, through your education, through your videos, through your courses, you're explaining to people that, well, here's one method of doing it, active, alpha. These are the reasons why in the past it may have been the one that people aspired to, but all these statistics, all the history, past performance not being a guide to the future, notwithstanding, all the history suggests that alpha doesn't work, hence the death of the alpha cult, Really, the way forward, if you want to grow your money, is passive investments. And that could just be as simple as buying something that tracks the FTSE if you're in the UK. That's right. Or, or some other you know, global, global in, in, um, stock market tracker. I think there's an interesting report by Vanguard, which is saying that they're expecting returns over the next 10 years or so, over mm. the medium term, to be around 5 or 6%. So if you take away the effect of inflation, so that's maybe 2%, mm-hmm. with maybe um, 4 or 3% return. Yeah. And then if you're paying a fee of, say, 1%, then that's one quarter of your profit. Yeah. So that suddenly that 1% fee looks absolutely massive. And if you multiply the fee, which also compounds just like returns over 40 years, for someone investing in their 20s, you know, paying away a quarter or a half of their of their returns is, is going to be catastrophic over the long term. So I think the interesting thing about cults is they never die out. They're no. replaced. So sometimes they take a long time to die out. So for example, Odin and Thor and the 
the Norse gods took a long time to die out in um, Scandinavia. Mm. So people were still worshipping Thor up until the 13th century yeah. in Scandinavia. But of course, ultimately, Christianity uh, replaced the, the Norse gods. So I think the cult which is going to replace the Alpha cult is going to be the cult of Jack Bogle. Now, if you haven't if you haven't heard of him, he he's an 80 year old. He's very sprightly still. But <laughs> yeah. He's the guy who first pushed this idea of very cheaply tracking markets. Mm. And he founded, he was one of the founders of, of Vanguard, which is the company which which does, um, which produces many of the very cheap trackers globally. And in the US, it's got a very odd corporate structure. It's also owned by its um, by the people who invest in it. It's almost like a cooperative. Mm-hmm. That doesn't quite work if you're in the UK because we can't, it doesn't extend, the cooperative structure doesn't extend to the UK. But it is very much focused on providing value for its investors it's completely dedicated to that so his views are that you should firstly choose very cheap passive funds so go for beta mm-hmm. don't believe in alpha so don't buy active funds because as we've discussed active funds don't necessarily work over the long term also don't trade too often because when you trade uh, you're paying fees to yeah. trade so once you've got uh, an asset allocation that you like, stick with it. Diversify, because if you put all of your eggs in one basket, it's very risky. Uh, and then drip feed money into your investment all the time. Don't try and time the market. So don't say, oh, I think there's going to be a crash, so I'll pull my money back. Uh, you always drip feed the same amount into your investments over your whole lifetime, from the age of 20 onwards, whenever you start earning. Mm. Those, that's the kind of that's the that's what I think will supplant the alpha cult. It's the Bogle cult. And is that the view we mentioned financial advisors early on and how important it is if you've got the knowledge to have a debate with a financial advisor? Is that becoming the established view amongst financial advisors in the United Kingdom yet, or is there still quite a strong um, orientation towards the alpha cult? I think a lot of the ones I speak to now are coming round to the idea of, you know, the effect of fees. Mm. Because it'll be pretty clear to the client if we have a low return environment that the fees are eating up all of the return. So I think a lot of IFAs have their heart in the right place. You know, they care about their clients' wealth. And if that's the case, then they'll see the research as well. And certainly the ones I know are very aware of the effective fees and the poor performance you get in active funds. So I think that message is certainly getting through to the to the IFAs. Although I have had some fairly um, heated, shall we say, exchanges with some active managers. Um, so I get um, I, I did a video on Fundsmith, which is one of the very popular active funds, because I said even though it's extremely well managed, it's very well researched. This Fundsmith fund and it's got over eleven billion in assets under management, I just don't believe that it will continue to outperform because the statistical evidence is very skewed towards it not outperforming over the long term. But I've got some very pointed comments about that. I can imagine. (laughs) Roman, it's been really fascinating to have this discussion with you this afternoon, and I've definitely learned a lot of stuff about the difference between active and passive that I wasn't aware of. And and I have to say, I'm holding my hands up here even now, and I should know better. I guess it always has been in my head that active alpha 
is going to get you a better return over the long term. And, and obviously, I've uh, been severely disabused of that this, this afternoon. I also like to explore with my podcast guests other marketing ideas. So one of the questions I like to ask is, has there been a marketing campaign or a product or something that you've seen recently that's really made you sit up and think, wow, I really like what they're doing? Tell me what it was and what you liked about it. Well, I think in finance, as we were discussing earlier and laughing about it, uh, no. No, <laughs> there hasn't been. <laughs> because in, in finance, you know, generally the, the marketing is simply atrocious. Yeah. For, for, for legal reasons, you know, they're limited in what, in what they can say. So, no, I don't think there has been anything that's really stood out for me in terms of, um, of marketing campaigns, which, which I was impressed by. And has there been a business book that you've read recently that again's made you sit up and think, wow, I really like the ideas contained within those pages, or if you're reading it on a Kindle, of course, contained on the screen? Yeah, actually, uh, this will sound really boring, but it's called Accounts Demystified <laughs> by Anthony Rice. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's re- I mean, it's almost written like a, like a kind of conversation with someone who's starting up a business. So, you know, she puts money into the into the business to start with mm-hmm. and then they talk about, you know, the balance sheet and how much equity she's got. Yeah. And then the business risks. And then the when she gets some income, she has to pay some of that out as costs. And then we talk about how the balance sheet changes over time. So I just think it's beautifully explained in a very simple way. Again, it's been fascinating to chat to you today. As we've said before, you are an educator. You've created lots of videos giving people information about finance, about markets, about investments. And I really would like everybody who's listening to the uh, Marketing and Finance podcast to check out those videos. And if they like what they see, then you've also got some courses that people can subscribe to as well. So, Roman, what's the best way that people should get in touch with you? The best way is simply look at the website. Mm-hmm. So it's pensioncraft.com. I think you're going to add a, a link to it in your in your notes. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the best place to start. And that has a link to our YouTube channel as well, which is youtube.com slash pensioncraft. And there you'll see all of our free content and you'll see if you like our teaching style. Fantastic. Roman, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I will include links to your website in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No doubt we'll catch up again soon, either in London over a beer or at a future financial services event. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? 